Hey everyone, welcome to Experience Ministries Discipleship Podcast, where we share biblical principles to help you live your faith. I'm Dave. And I'm Angie. Most of what we share are things we wish we knew sooner in our spiritual journey. And we're praying the Holy Spirit uses these principles to help you grow. This is episode five, and today we're talking about absolute truth and the Bible. So this is a fun topic, and uh, honestly, today is not going to be a real academic thing. We're just going to have some fun with this discussion and try to explore a little bit about this topic of absolute truth versus relative truth and how that connects with the Bible. It's a great topic. It's very relevant to the society that we're living in right now. It really is. So I guess the the first question we would have to ask is, is there such a thing as absolute truth? I've been asked that question. You probably have too. I have. I've been asked that question a lot. So um, I found this definition on Natasha Crane's website. It's natashacrane.com. She has a, a good blog article about this, so you can go look that up. But here's what she says about absolute truth. To say that something is absolutely true means that it is independently true for all people, even if they do not know it or recognize it to be true. The opposite of absolute truth is relative truth. To say that something is relatively true means that it can be true for one person and not for another. So when we're talking about this whole area of absolute truth versus relative truth, uh, it really it hits every area of our culture, of our society. It, yes, it, it has to do with the physical laws, physical nature, things like that as well as moral, ethical, relational things. And we see it actually more in the moral, ethical, and relational than we do in the physical realm. But it is uh, really playing out now in the physical realm as well, where people are saying that there is no absolute truth and we can't define what has always held to be true. Um, okay, let me be a little more direct. We can't say a man is a man and a woman is a woman uh, because that isn't absolutely true. And, and so when, when we see that it's moving so far into the physical realm, it just becomes kind of an absurd argument that most of us would go, but wait a minute, that doesn't even make sense. It's quite illogical. It is very illogical to say that there is nothing that is absolutely true, even down to the physical reality of male-female um, is a problem. Yes, it is. So our modern culture denies this absolute truth because they don't want to be subject to an absolute truth. That's the way I see it. Well, they, want, they don't want to be told what they want to do is wrong. Right. They don't, they don't want somebody saying, this is right, this is wrong. They want to do away with right and wrong so they can interpret that for themselves and, and do whatever they want. Do whatever they want. So, okay, let's just let's have some fun with this because that's what we said we were going to do is have fun, right? Oh yes. All right. So let's just uh, let's play the couple of these fun things out. If there is no such thing as absolute truth, then I want you to show me a round square. Hmm. Let me work on that. Um. Yeah. Can't do it. Can't do it. There's no such thing as a round square. A square is a square around 
is around. Yes. Right? Yes. And it doesn't matter if we have different opinions about it. There is a reality. You can't put a square peg in a round hole. Have you ever watched a child try to do that? I have, and I've used it. I've watched them use um, a lot a of force <laughs> <laughs> to try to make that work. It just doesn't work. And you have to tell them. You have to tell the child. No, no, no. You're you're using the wrong piece. It, that's a square hole. You need a square piece. And it's sometimes very hard for children to get that concept. It is, but I mean, that's really kind of at the heart of this whole debate about absolute truth versus relative truth. There is an absolute truth. Yes. And you can't change that just because you want to. Yeah. Right? Because then it wouldn't be absolute. So how about this one? That burnt orange sports car that I really like is beautiful. Um... I think I'd rather have it in purple. Okay. So is that an absolute truth or a relative truth? That's a relative truth. Because that is something that's based on our different opinions. Yeah. Right? What you may like in purple, I may like in a burnt orange. That's that's an opinion thing, and maybe that would fit into that relative truth type of thing because you like one thing, I like another. But... You can't take something that is absolutely true and change it into something that yeah. is a relative truth. It just doesn't work. Yeah. So let's take another one. If there is no such thing as absolute truth, then I would like you to show me gravity pulling something up and not down. Hmm. You know, every time I drop something, it falls down. Yep, there's an absolute truth on planet Earth that gravity pulls towards the center of the planet, so everything is always going down. And no matter what you do, you can't get away from that absolute truth. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So if we want to say, okay, we're going to take that absolute truth of gravity and turn it into um, maybe a more subjective truth, What's true for me is true for me. I am going to fly up when I jump instead of come back down. Huh. Yeah, I don't think that'll work out so good. So if I jump out the second story window, I won't go up? No, you're going to go down. Every time. Every time. <laughs> so, okay, let's not do that uh, because <laughs> that just won't work. It's, it's an absolute law of nature that uh, you will go down because gravity pulls you down. Yeah. So when you're looking at absolute truth versus relative truth in terms of the physical laws, it's very easy to see. It's really hard to argue against that. In terms of moral, ethical, uh, relational type of things, it's a little bit different because there's not such concrete evidence in the one hand, but there is still absolute truth. And so what's happening is people are coming to these moral, ethical uh, things and saying, well, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. So you run into a problem with things like thou shalt not murder. At what point is murder a a relative truth? It's Mm. not. It's absolutely wrong. It's pretty absolute. Every time, (laughs) right? It's not okay for you and not okay for me. Um, Lying, stealing... I mean, you could just go right down through the Ten Commandments and other scriptural principles, and you you can't just take that away and say, 
well, it's there's no absolute truth. It's all relative because you would have absolute chaos. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so... Without absolute truth, you have absolute chaos. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. So, okay, if there is absolute truth, where do we find it? Hmm. In the Bible. In the Bible. Exactly. Yes. And so sometimes we get the question, is there such thing as absolute truth? And one of the other questions that we get that kind of goes along with that is about the Bible. Is the Bible accurate? Can we rely on it? It's a really old book. How do we know that it's true? How do we know that it's valid and applies today? Yeah. So what we want to do is just give you a few basic facts about the Bible, and these are absolute facts. These are true things about the Bible that maybe you didn't know that will just give you some encouragement to dig a little deeper and study the Scripture because it contains absolute truth. But is relevant to us today. It is relevant to us. So start us out with the first one. So the first one is the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, which is pretty staggering when you think about all the books that have been written and maybe published or not published, over all the years. It's pretty amazing. That That is amazing. Because there's some really old books. Oh, yeah. But they don't come close to what the Bible is. No. So what's the next one? Okay, so the Bible consists of 66 separate books and is divided into two parts commonly known as the Old Testament, 39 books, and the New Testament, 27 books. Now, lots of people call it Old Testament, New Testament. I I like Hebrew text and Greek text better because I don't like the idea that one's old because that kind of says it's irrelevant, and that's not the case. The whole Bible is relevant to us today. Yes. And and it's interesting that you would you would prefer Hebrew text and Greek text because there's actually three primary languages in the Bible. There's Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. You're right. The Aramaic is much less, but there is some Aramaic in the Bible. Yeah. So here's another interesting thing. The Bible was written by 40 different authors over a period of at least 1,500 years. That's amazing. That's 40 generations. So it's not like some guys sat down with their laptop and wrote out a bunch of stuff and called it the Bible. No, it's written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors from all kinds of different places, and it all lines up. There isn't any contradictions. Which is amazing. When you think about all the different walks of life of all the authors, we had fishermen, peasants, herdsmen, we even had a prime minister, a rabbi, a doctor, a king, a military general, a tax collector, and on and on and on. That's amazing. It's amazing. All the different walks of life. So you have the Bible written by very educated people mm-hmm. and people that were not very educated at all. And we, we look back and we think educated. Those were ancient times. But you had doctors who were highly educated. Yeah. And then you had fishermen who were not not as educated. I mean, peasants, herdsmen, people that tended sheep. Yeah, exactly. 
but you also had highly educated. So, so the Bible is also written in some very strange places, right? <laughs> so yeah. It was written in dungeons. It was written in the wilderness. It was written in palaces. And it was written by people who were traveling all over the place. Um, the Bible is written by lots of different people, lots of different backgrounds, in lots of different places. It was. And it was written in times of war and times of peace. It was written on the continents of Asia, Africa, and Europe, according to Josh McDowell. And the Bible was completed nearly 2,000 years ago, and it's it's still it stood the test of time. Yeah, it really has. Think about it. Written, compiled, completed 2,000 years ago. That's amazing. <laughs> it really is amazing. So the Bible is full of controversial subjects. <laughs> That's one of the things I like about it is the Bible, I say this a lot, the Bible tells us the good, the bad, the ugly. Yes, it does. So it tells us all kinds of controversial subjects. It also tells us history, literature, poetry, uh, tells us a lot of prophecy, teaching, and customs. So like, it's really interesting when you start digging into that because the accuracy of the Bible is phenomenal. When, when you look at the prophecies in the Bible and the details of those prophecies and then how they came to pass um, hundreds and hundreds of years later, it's, it's phenomenal. That just goes to prove the validity of the Scripture. Yeah, it's amazing. And then it's also interesting to look at how many people over history have tried to destroy the Bible or eradicate it from society. The one that comes to mind is Hitler, and he actually would gather all the Bibles and all the books that he didn't like, and they burned them. The amount of Bibles that he burned was really a lot, but guess what? He couldn't eradicate it. He couldn't destroy the Bible. You know, I think that's an interesting point because basically what he was doing is practicing relative truth. I don't like this, so I'm going to get rid of it. Yeah. It didn't work because you can't do that. Yeah. There is absolute truth, and it stands for all time, mm -hmm. right? So there's both internal and external evidence that backs up the legitimacy and accuracy of the Bible. So the, the internal evidence includes things like what the Bible says itself about itself, what the Bible says about history and archaeology and, again, prophecy that you've already talked about. Right, right. So like if you go and you look at Isaiah chapter 53, um, what Isaiah prophesies about the Messiah, yeah. and then you go to Jesus and you look at how that was fulfilled in absolute detail. Mm -hmm. He prophesied in advance, and then it happened. And there's just, there's tons of prophecies. I used to know the exact number. I don't remember. Um, so it's I'm a not, lot. It's a lot. I'm not going to give a number because then I'll be wrong. But there's a lot of prophecies that have been fulfilled, and it just goes to show the validity of the Scripture. But there's also external evidence, which includes things like secular historians and archaeology. So you have people like uh, Josephus, who is a secular historian, talks about various things in the Bible as he's writing history. He mentions these things, and it gives validity to the Bible. You also have archaeology that digs things up from the past. In fact, we're still discovering things today in our generation that prove the Bible is accurate 
in what it says. That's right. And so when you look at the Bible and you compare it to other ancient writings, this is really cool. So if you look at a Greek, the Greek manuscript, which would be the New Testament, it was written between 40 and 100 AD. Okay. The earliest copy that they found was found around 125 AD. So that means that the earliest copy that they have was written, was, was found and written 25 years after the events actually happened. Yeah, that's pretty amazing that it's... It's not very long. The copies that we have are that close to when the original was actually written. Yes. And so how many copies have of this copy have they found? It's staggering. 25,000 copies. That's a huge amount, okay? But hold on. This is what's really cool, is if you look at Homer's Iliad, which... Right. We studied in school. Uh-huh. Uh, there's not really anybody... Nobody really questions whether Homer's Iliad is real. So when do you think it was written? <laughs> was it written about 900 B.C.? Okay. So what's the earliest copies? The earliest copies were found 500 years later. Wow. 500 years after the original. And so how many copies are there? There's only 643 copies. So we take Homer's Iliad as as true and accurate, even though it is separated by 500 years between what they say is the original and then the copies, and there's only 643 copies. And yet with the New Testament writings... There is only a very short period of time from years. from That's the originals to the copies, and there's over twenty five thousand copies of these early manuscripts. Yeah. So it's just one more of the evidences that show the Bible is accurate. It is what it says it is. It's accurate. It's reliable. If it said it happened, it happened. Yeah. That's fascinating. That is really fascinating. The Bible also makes some very big claims about itself. For example, in 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible claims to be the inspired word of God. So if the Bible is accurate in what it says, then we really have to wrestle with what it just said. It is the inspired word of God, meaning that God inspired and moved upon men to write the stories, the events, the history, the things that happened, it, it wasn't just because they decided to sit down and write something. It was because God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired them to write that, and they did, and it was compiled into a book that we now call the Bible. It's amazing. So these are only a few of the interesting facts about the Bible. There are many more that you can find through a good Bible dictionary or from books like A Ready Defense by Josh McDowell, where we did get some of these facts. So Josh McDowell has a great ministry, great resources. Uh, I would highly encourage you to check out Josh McDowell's ministry and A Ready Defense and some of the other material he has. So I really appreciate Josh McDowell's ministry because when I was in my spiritual journey trying to wrestle with my own faith... 
I came across Josh McDowell's books, and they were life-changing for me. They really established, they answered the questions that I was wanting to ask somebody, but nobody knew the answers at the time. Right. And he gave me the answers to my questions, which solidified my faith all those years ago. So I'm very, very passionate about Josh McDowell's ministries. He's got some really good material. He does. Um, really great resources. So check that out. But, you know, as we wrap this up, one of the questions that we have is, what are you going to do with the Bible? I mean, it it is historically accurate. It is what it says it is. So then the, dis- then the next thing is, well, what do I do with that? And so I would just encourage you to study the Bible. Study what it says. Think about what it says. Think about how it applies. And if you're not a student of the Bible or, you know, it's got some dust on it at your house— I would encourage you to blow off that dust and start with the book of John and start reading about what the Bible says to you about you, about God, and about God's plan for salvation. So there's one other interesting thing I want to leave you with this. Jesus says this in John 14:16. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so, Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that anyone who listens to this podcast would have their ears and their eyes open and sensitive to what you would say to them about your word, about what they should do in response to your word. And, Father, I pray that you just show them, show all of us, absolute truth. Show us what your word contains for us today that we know we can count on. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Now make sure that you push that subscribe button before you leave so you don't miss any of our future episodes. We'll talk to you next time.